0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2 is our text. We'll begin to read in verse number 15 this morning. Uh, 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse number 15. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, devoted to God. Devoted to God. 1 John chapter 2, we'll begin to read in verse 15. Won't you stand with me, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in 1 John chapter 2 begin to read in verse number 15. The Bible says these words, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever let's pray together father we ask your spirit would speak to us challenge us god i pray would open our hearts and minds to receive the truths that are in these texts god i do pray if there's one in our midst that has never turned from sin and trusted you to be lord of their life god they'll make that decision today god i pray you'll challenge every believer uh, that is here uh, concerning worldliness uh, today and your spirit will bear out the truth and reality of where we really stand in our walk and in our relationship with you. And God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation at the conclusion of this service, in response to this text and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God, will respond by faith to what you're calling us to do today. Bless this time. Be honored and glorified through everything that's said and done here. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Last week in chapter 2, I began to read in verse number 6, we saw what John challenged us concerning abiding. Chapter 2, verse 6 says, and he who abides in him ought himself also to walk as he walked. Remember, John is challenging us concerning the fellowship um, that we have with the Lord, those things that we have in common in a relationship. Uh, Verse 7 says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. And he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so John is challenging us on two uh, objects of love that we are to express. One is our love for God, uh, Deuteronomy chapter six verse five, uh, we shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart. And then that's the old commandment but then out of that love begins to bear fruit and we begin to have love for other people even if they're unlovable and we don't really like the things they do and the way that they live it's going to be a natural love God demonstrated toward us Romans 5:8 this way while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God loved the world even though the world was full of sin he didn't love the sin but he loved people And he wanted all people to be saved. And so John challenges us about those two types of love. Love for God, love for men. Well, The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And one of the things that Satan wants to do is to steal our love for God. Uh, John bears out that walking and abiding, that is, following Christ every day, being the doer of his word and his will, and then abiding, being dependent upon him, uh, admitting that we're helpless before him, remaining, abiding in his love and in a right relationship with him. Those two things coupled together equal total devotion to God. And that's what John's bearing out in verses 15 through 17. You're going to be totally devoted to God, or you're going to be totally devoted to the world. There there is no in-between. So four things I want you to notice about that this morning. First, notice a clear command, a clear command from God. Look again at verse number 15. The Bible says, do not love the world or the things of the world. Uh, Nope, that's pretty plain English, friend. Do not. And so there's not to be any type of affection or love that we're to have for the things of the world. But what exactly does John mean by the world? We're in John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. Well, what is the world? Well, it's people. Uh, everyone who's ever been born, everyone who ever will be born. God, again, doesn't love sin, but He loves souls. He wants all people to be saved. So that's what that word world there means. But just two chapters before that in John chapter 1 uh, and verse number 10, uh, the Bible teaches that the world was made by God. So the world was made by him, Jesus. He's talking about the, the earth itself, but the world did not know him. He's talking about mankind there. But that's not what's being discussed here in verse number 15. There's nothing about the earth or mankind being talked about in 1 John chapter 2. When the Bible says, do not love the world, he's not talking about the earth. He say, well, you know, I don't. I try to litter all the time. I hate, I hate the earth. And he say, well, I don't like people either. He's not talking about either of those two things. When, now, pay attention to me. When John's talking about the world here in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 15, he's, he's speaking about a system of thought, a system of speech, a system of action that is contrary to, and it's in opposition against the things of God as revealed in the life of His Son and in His Word. Now, I want, I want to read that to you again. When, when the Bible here is talking about the world, it's talking about a system of thought, speech, and action that's contrary to and it's in opposition against the things of God as revealed in the life of His Son and through His Word. Remember that Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5 says, let this mind, let this mindset that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. And so the mindset of Christ, the mind that Christ has, the way Christ speaks, the way Christ thinks, the way Christ acts, the mind that, 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 that dictates and dictated how he thought, spoke, and reacted to things is completely in complete contrast to the world's way, the way the world thinks and the way the world speaks and the way the world acts. And so the Bible says do not love that mindset of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Uh, Mark chapter 12 and verse number 30 says we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Not not part of our heart, not part of our mind, not with part of our soul, but with all of it. Now, friend, you need to hear this this morning. Anything that the Bible declares as worldly cannot be loved, liked, or associated with by a believer in any way and us remain in a devoted relationship with God. That's a clear command. Now, I realize we're living in a day where everybody likes to operate in gray areas, uh, but there's no gray area in this. Look again in verse number 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We are to wholly and totally be devoted to the Lord. And so how that bears out is this. See if you've ever heard this before. You hear a believer talk about a television show that is worldly. Worldly. And they'll say, boy, I, just, I love that television show. There was a cliffhanger last year. I can't wait till the new series comes out again. Or there's a book that is completely worldly. It's, it's coldly contrary to the Word of God. Someone says, oh, I just love that book. I think it's awesome. Or a musical group that doesn't honor God with their lyrics and what they sing. All of their lyrics and all of their music are worldly in nature. Somebody says, oh, I love that band. I love that. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? The Bible says, friend, you're not to love it. You say, that's legalistic. Friend, I didn't write this book. The Holy Spirit did. And the Bible says, my friend, if you're going to be totally devoted to God, you can't love the world or the things in the world. Well, the opposite of love, friend, is hate. You have to come to a place where you Hate those things. That is a clear command. Not people, but the things of the world. That is the only mindset that we can have. Why? Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and in verse number 24, He said, no one can serve two masters. You can't ride the fence. He says, no one can serve two masters, for you either hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. There's no in-between. You're either totally devoted to God or you're totally devoted to the world. You say, well, I try to blend it. In God's eyes, you're totally out. So that is an absolute clear command from God. Second notice, a conclusive test. So here's a little test to see where you stand in that. Now, remember in high school chemistry, some of you just had you know, chemistry PTSD. It just hits you. You just jumped. Remember there was a little test that we would take to see the pH uh, level in something. Remember pH is measured from a scale of 0 to 14, 7 is neutral, that's water, and anything from 0 up to 7 is base uh, acid, and then anything above 7 to 14, that's alkaline. And there were these little pieces of paper and you would stick it down in the liquid, and if it didn't, if it was to determine acid, and it was acid, it would change color. And you said, say, well, that's, that's acid. Well, if it didn't change, you'd stick the other one in there. And if it did change color, you'd say, well, that's a base. Well, if it didn't change either, you'd say, well, that's just water because it's neutral. So there was a clear, conclusive test, a litmus test. And we use that phrase, well, here's a little litmus test. Well, here's a spiritual litmus test to see whether you're totally devoted to God or you're in God's eyes, you're worldly. Here it is. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Here it is. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Period. That's what God says. So if you have that attitude to something that the Bible declares is sinful or is worldly, and you love that, you've just got a soap opera you can't miss, you love it. The Bible says you don't love God. So I, I love this action. I love this comedian. I love this person. It's got this, this lifestyle. I love their lifestyle. But it's contrary to God. The Bible says you don't love God. Now, friend, I realize in the day in which we're living, that's not popular. But can I declare to you, that's one of the reasons why the church makes little impact on the world in which we're living. And the church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. You go back to the book of Acts and you see the difference the church made in its community. It's because hearts were aflame for the Lord Jesus Christ. People were growing in a loving relationship. But remember Revelations chapter 2 and 3 are seven different letters to seven different churches which represent seven different church ages which we are certainly living in the last one. And the last church... The letter to the church of Laodicea was written to a church that was absolutely lukewarm in their love for God. Just riding the fence. They loved God when it was convenient, but they loved the world when it was time to play. And God looked at those people, and do you remember that that loving little statement that he gave them? He said, when I think about you, it makes me want to puke. He said, I want to vomit you out of my mouth when I think about the devotion that you have for me. Why? Because the Bible says, friend, they love the world. And it's because of that, friend, the love of the Father was not in them. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a head issue. It's not about what you think about God. You know, well, I think great thoughts. God, Friend, listen, your love for God is not resting here in your head. Hear me this morning. That's why most people in the South that that are associated with a local church are going to die and go to hell one day. Because their salvation is right here. They think and they believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that Jesus is God's Son. They believe that Jesus died and rose again. But here's the problem. They've never turned from sin. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10, believed in their heart unto righteousness and trusted Christ to be Lord of their life as they professed Him with their mouth. See, your love for God is not up here. It's registered here in your heart. And so it's a heart issue. That's what it comes down to. You either love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, or you don't. The Bible says when you don't, friend, fellowship is separated. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And when you no longer love God, listen, you're no longer going to love his word. It could be that you know, maybe there's someone here this morning you, you claim to be saved. Maybe you are saved. But you've backslid into a place that you've begun to have a little love relationship with something the Bible declares is worldly. And already you've got a little burr in your saddle this morning. Something's already popped in and you say, I don't like preaching like that. I want to tell you why you don't like preaching like that. Because the Word convicts you of where sins in your life. You see... When you begin to love the things of the world, you fall out of love with God, and then you fall out of love with His Word. You don't want to hear the Word of God preached and spoken anymore. That's why people stay away from church. It's not because the sanctuary is too hot or too cold. If the Word of God's being preached and taught, it's because they don't want to hear a convicting Word. They want to hear a convicting Word. And can I tell you, friend, that's the reason a lot of people are comfortable in churches who live in sin because the convicting word is not being preached and taught. There's an absence of the word of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation. It is my meditation all the day. Not part of the day, but all the day. The psalmist says, I'm in a... Growing, devoted, committed relationship to you, oh God, there's nothing that thrills my soul than to think about you and your word. It brings a blessing to my heart. It's soothing to my heart. But my friend, when you don't love God anymore, you don't want to hear his word. And when you don't want to hear his word, the next step is this, friend, you're not going to want to be obedient to his word. John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said this, if you love me, Keep my commandments. He said, you're going to be a doer. It's not going to be a chore or a big issue. It's the natural flow. You love God, therefore you want to know about God, so you're going to read and study His Word. You're going to want to hear from God, so you're going to receive His Word. And because you've received His Word, you're going to want to be a doer of His Word. You're going to show the Word. Know, stow, show, and sow. My friend, when you don't love God anymore, you reject that Word, and then when you reject that word, you disobey that word. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6-7, through seven, John said it this way. If we say we have fellowship with Him, that is, we're in a right relationship with God. No sin stands between us. Nothing in between. Everything's in, in we're, we're, we're great. If we say we have fellowship with Him, but yet we walk in darkness. That is, I'm holding hands with things that are worldly. Things that are contrary to Scripture. Or, friend, it could be that I'm rebelling and not doing the things that I'm supposed to do. It's not just sins of commission, but it's also sins of omission. Because the world's philosophy is, hey, pick and choose, buddy. It's it's a la carte with God, just like a big buffet. Not so. If we say we have fellowship with Him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen, and continues to cleanse us. It keeps us in a right relationship with Him. And so, friend, listen the believer that loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they don't obey God because they they don't obey God because. Uh, you know, what they can get from God. They obey God because they love Him. They love Him. They want to be a doer. You see, I came to a place in my relationship with my parents at some point that I didn't obey my parents because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. I obeyed my parents because I loved them. And that's the maturity that God desires and my friend deserves to see in every believer we keep his commandments not because we're afraid he's gonna zap us we keep his commandments because we love him cuz no one's ever done for us what Jesus has it's not hard because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and we want to have fellowship with him anything in the disciples life that causes them to fail to love God And to love his word in obedience is worldly. It doesn't belong in your life. Anything, listen, anything in your life that keeps you from being healthy, it doesn't belong there. If it's hurting your physical health, you don't need it. And anything that's hurting your spiritual health, friend, you don't need it. You don't need it. So there's there's a conclusive test. If you love the world... You don't love God. Ephesians chapter 5 says this listen, easy illustration. We are the bride of Christ. That's how Jesus sees us. When you got saved, you were born again to the family of God, but you're also born into the bride of Christ. The church is his bride. Now, how many of you who are still married today, uh, you know, don't raise your hand because we'd just be so embarrassed for you. How many of you would just be really excited if your spouse came to you today and said they've decided they want to be in an open marriage? Nobody would. If you do, you've got got issues. Listen to me, my friend. Jesus isn't going to be in an open marriage with you. He's not going to share you with Satan on the weekend. We are the bride of Christ. He bought us with his body and his blood. And total commitment and total devotion to Jesus Christ is all he will accept. It's all he will accept. Clearly and conclusively, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, that is, if anyone is having an affair with the world, If anyone is trying to be in an open marriage with the world and the devil, the love of the Father is not in him. That's a conclusive test. You can't get more simple than that. And it may be your problem is this, friend: you've never really fallen in love with God through a personal relationship with Him, and really all you've got is an infatuation. There's a big difference between being infatuated and being in love. Isaiah chapter 29 and verse number 13, God said it this way about the nation of Israel. He said, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths, and they honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. They really didn't love God with all their hearts, soul, mind, and strength. If they did, they'd have been a doer of his word. But what it was is this, they were just infatuated with him. I mean, they were the nation of Israel. They were the people of God. And can I just say in just a parenthetical statement, friend, they still are the people of God. Don't you forget that in the midst of all the news cycles. When you see the nation of Israel, my friend, that is still the people of God, and he has a covenant relationship with them. You need to remember that. But he sent Christ to redeem even them. They were just infatuated. There's a lot of people, my friend, that get tied to the church. They don't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They're just infatuated with Jesus. Who in their right mind wants to go to hell? Nobody. So a lot of people become infatuated with Jesus and the blessings of Jesus. But they never enter into a saving relationship with him. And whereby, my friend, the Holy Spirit begins to live in a spiritual life and they grow in a devoted, spiritual, committed, surrendered love. Are you infatuated with Jesus? Or do you really love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's something to think about, a conclusive test. Third notice now, a calling reason. Not a causing reason. But a calling reason, what would make someone begin to love the world and the things of the world? What is it that calls or tempts one to turn to worldliness? Well, look at verse number 16. The Bible answers it for us. For all that is in the world. and remember, that's this this system of thought and action. Thinking, speaking, and doing that's contrary to the will and word of God. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of God the world. You need to understand, friend, there are some things that that God has said do not do and do. And to fail in either is sin. We went through an entire series on Sunday nights in the commands of Christ to try to give you a, a discipleship tool. There are things that every believer is is to do, and then there are things that we're not to do. And to fail any of those is is sin. But, but you need to know also there's some things that are okay in their proper use that become not okay if they're manipulated by the flesh and by the world. And those show up on three fronts. The lust of the flesh, the lust of eyes, and the pride of life. For example, thirst, hunger, and rest. Those are needs that, that we have as human beings physically. If you don't hydrate, you will die. If you don't eat at some point, you will die. If you don't get proper rest at some point, you will die. And so, meeting those in a way that is not sinful is not sinful. But those three needs can be taken and they can be exploited and meeting those needs in a way that's contrary to Scripture. For example, lust of the flesh. You thirst to drink alcohol? That's a sin. So you say, so I'm meeting the need, but you're doing it in a sinful way. Hunger. You need to eat. But to overeat is gluttony, and that's a sin. And can I say again, one of the besetting sins of the local church today is, is that of not self-care, it's obesity. To not take care of the temple of God, my friend. And, and, you know, people laugh at what Baptists love to eat. What Baptists love to do is to overeat. And I'm telling you, my friend, it is a sin to not take care of our bodies. So we have to eat, but to overeat is sin. Rest, we need to get sleep. But some people won't sleep all day. And they don't use the time that God has given them to be productive. So there are needs that need to be met, but they need to be met in a way that's in line with Scripture. But to do it contrary from Scripture is to be led by the lust. Of the flesh, Lust of the eyes. God gave you ears and God gave you eyes that which you might receive information from him that you might grow in the likeness of Christ. Our ears and our eyes are gateways. They're doorways to our mind. But those same ears and eyes, my friend, can be, rec- can be used to receive things that are sinful, that don't help you grow in Christ, but actually move you away from Christ. That's why Job said in Job chapter 31 and verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon something I'm not supposed to. We need to make a covenant with that. Can I say that in Baptist? We need to make a covenant with our ears. We're not going to listen to things we oughtn't to listen to. Pride of life. You know, it is good to boast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, and verse number 14, he says, but God forbid that I should boast. That is, that I should, I should brag, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with boasting in Jesus Christ, my friend. To let everybody know, you, you couldn't be more proud than to know Jesus Christ. But then it's a sin, though, friend, if that turns on yourself. So many people bragging on each other. Friend, again, listen. Social media can be a great tool to keep in touch with people, uh, to promote the gospel, but what it's really turned into is a place for people just to brag on themselves. Look and listen to me. My friend, listen. The, the life that loves Lord Jesus Christ with all their whole, heart, soul, mind, and strength, they don't exalt self, they exalt Christ. Their lives are marked by humility. By humility. Not so Colossians three and verse seventeen. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. It should be to honor and glorify Him. So there is a constant war that's raging within us, and all of us are going to be tempted, on, tempted and called to chase after worldliness on those three fronts: lust of the eyes, lust of uh, lust of the eyes, uh, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Well, let me give you a few examples of how that how that begins to fall away. Total devotion to God begins to erode through little things. It just doesn't happen overnight. It happens through subtleness. I'll give you three examples from Scripture. Number one, remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? He was with Abraham, and he had the opportunity to grow in the Lord. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter uh, 13 and verse number 10 that he looked towards Sodom. And Sodom represented, my friend, all that the world had to offer now, the first thing you think of when you speak of Sodom is sexual immorality. But listen, far, far beyond that, friend, they were just a worldly society. The, 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 the smartest and the brightest lived in Sodom. And this, this, this was the epicenter of all of the latest technology in the world was in Sodom. And so Lot looked away from all that he had with Abraham following God, and he looked toward Sodom. And so it, it, began, it began with a look. And then in Genesis chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible says that he moved toward Sodom. He looked and he began to gradually to move away from God and to move toward this worldly system of thought and action and speech. The says he pitched his tent toward that direction. He, he turned his house. He turned the focus of his family in that direction. He says, Man, that seems pretty good. I like that. That's, here's the word. Well, that's progressive. That's, pre- that's not, Abraham's a little legalistic in his devotion and surrender to God. I kind of I like that thought. And then the Bible says, my friend, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 12, he was captured with Sodom. Now, now, he's, now he's been taken captive. There, And then even after he has the opportunity to be set free, Genesis chapter 19 verse 1 says this, he settled down in Sodom and he's, he's at the front gate. He works at the welcome center. If you came to Sodom, Lot was one of the first people that you would meet when you came to town. And that's progressively how it happened. It started with a look. He just entertained him. He said, well, it really won't, it really won't hurt that much just to engage it a little bit. And then he began to position his life. You know, that that kind of sounds good to me. And then all of a sudden he finds himself entangled in it and has the opportunity to get free. And now he's completely immersed in worldliness. And my friend, at the end of it, he lost his testimony. He lost his wife. And then the most horrible thing that you could imagine between his daughters and himself happened and the Moabites and the Ammonites came to be as a result of it. And it all started, listen to me, don't miss this, with what a lot of people today would call a little legalistic look. Started with a look when all he had to do was identify and say, that's worldly, therefore I can't have it, because I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love him. Happened with Samson, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. Samson, who's to be totally devoted to God. Living the life of a Nazarite. Totally devoted. Through little things began to slip away. And Judges chapter 16 and verse number 20. The Bible says he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. It happened through little things. And the end of his life was marked by binding, by blinding, and by grinding. He was bound. He lost his eyes. And there he was, grinding every day as people laughed at him. Because he embraced worldliness. Peter... Boy, he stood in his own strength. He had a better plan than God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 22. He looked Jesus in the face and said, Far be it from thee, Lord. You're not going to die on the cross. I won't let that happen. Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan. You know, this is why I've come. And then full of his own strength, buddy. He didn't need to be filled with the Spirit. He said, Lord, everybody else, Matthew 26, 33, "they, they they may stumble, but I never will. You see, he's he's begun to embrace the world's strength rather than being dependent upon the Lord. And at the finger pointing of a little girl, he denies even knows the Lord, and he flees away. He flees away. It happened to Eve, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. This is where we see lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life so played out. It's for the tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of. For the day thou eatest thou off, you will surely die. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field the Lord God created. He came into the garden. He tempted Eve on those three fronts. He said, God's not going to judge you. You're not going to die. Look at it. Don't you want to taste it? And you're going to be wise just like God. And she yielded to it. She stopped loving God, and she loved the world. And the Bible says, by one man, sin entered the world, and then death through sin. And we've been living with it ever since. So there will always be a daily battle with our flesh that calls to sin. You're going to have it, friend. Listen, it's in you. You've got a flesh nature." And you're always going to deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So you're always going to have to deal with that. But thanks be to God for 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14 that says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a victim to it. Because the Bible says in Philippians 4, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can find victory over that call to yield your heart. To worldliness. Fourth, and I close, I want you to notice now a certain ending. What's, what's the end result for the world system that so many are giving their heart, their lives, and their attention and their life to? Time. I'm turned 50 this year, and I am certainly not having a midlife crisis. No sports car, no skinny jeans. But I'll tell you this, it did cause me to stop and realize I've probably got more days behind me than I've got in front of me. And that time is a precious commodity. And what you have, if you really love the Lord, you better use for His glory and for others' good. And so, the certain ending that we realize is that so many people who give themselves to worldliness... They're giving to something that's passing away. Look at verse 17. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The world and its system of operation, friend, contrary to what you hear on the news, it's not coming to, to an end because of global warming. God helped these poor little people that are chaining themselves in the middle of the highway over global warming and are going into art galleries... And pouring a gallon of paint on some priceless piece of art. I mean, they're just—they're—they're they're losing their mind over. Think everything's going to go up because of global warming, my friend. Global warming's never—it's the earth getting warmer. I don't know. I really don't care, because I know who holds the world in His hands, and if God wants the world gets hotter, it's going to get hotter. The world and its system is coming to an end because God says it's going to. This is what you need to hear this morning and understand as we come to a time of invitation. Listen to me. The Bible clearly teaches in the book of Revelation, it's laid out this way, from Revelation chapter 4 verse 1 to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, John says, I heard a voice say, Come up hither. That is the rapture of the church. Jesus is coming back for his church. Whether he will not bodily step his feet on this earth, he'll be in the air and he'll call the church to rise to me. And the Bible teaches that after that happens, my friend, that in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39, there are going to be seven years of great tribulation on this earth where God's going to deal with the nation of Israel But he's going to pour out his wrath on this earth for sin. It's going to happen for seven literal years. There's a lot of things that are going to happen, the Bible says, but the end of that seven years, it's going to culminate with this. Not far from where you see all of the drama happening right now in the Middle East, all the armies of the world are going to gather together. China, Russia, all the Muslim nations united as one for one singular purpose, to blow Israel off the map. In the valley of Jezreel at a place called Armageddon. But the Bible says, my friend, Revelation chapter 19, just before that happens, Jesus Christ is bodily coming back again to this earth. He's going to step down on this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords and with his word alone, my friend. Not a drone, not a bomb, not a gun, not gas. With his word alone, all the armies of the world are going to perish. And he's going to set up a literal kingdom for 1,000 years upon this earth. And then at the conclusion of that 1,000 years, the earth is going to be changed so as by fire. You say, what's it going to be like? I don't know. God will tell us one day when we'll see it. But it's going to be different. The point is this. All the world's system of thought and action and speech, listen to me, it's coming to an end but only that, my friend, that is done in Jesus' name will remain. Listen to what the Bible says. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It means, my friend, if you don't have a personal, real relationship with Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Eternally separated from God and His goodness. That's what it comes down to. And so if you want to be deceived by, well, that's just legalistic. And they're trying to keep me from having fun. My friend, the only thing I'm trying to keep anybody from is going to hell. And from living a wasted life. That's the only agenda that I've got in life. Is to see people know Christ and grow in Christ. And if you've never been saved, my friend, you need to turn from all that is in the world. And you need to turn to Jesus Christ today and trust Him to be Lord of your life. And then let Him, my friend, put a new heart in you. And you'll begin to want to do the things of God. You're always going to struggle with the flesh. I do. Anybody in here that tells you they don't is a bold-faced liar. Everyone struggles with flesh. But thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Jesus Christ. Now the second person I want to talk to is the believer who you're holding hands with the world. See it for what it is today. See it before God. You are trying to live in an open marriage with Jesus Christ. It's not legalism. It's not legalism. You're trying to live in an open marriage. And the Bible says, my friend, if you, if you really love something that the Bible says is sinful, the love of the Father is not in you. It might all bring you to a place where you really ask yourself the question, am I just infatuated with Jesus? Or do I really love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength because I've entered into a personal saving relationship with him? And I'll remind you this too, my friend. The Bible says, let him that stand take heed lest he fall. Just because you are committed today... My friend, you could choose to become uncommitted tomorrow. Be disciplined. Be dedicated. Spend time with the Lord each morning. Any day that you can begin your day without Bible study, you're declaring to God, I can make it without you today. Only that done in Jesus' name, my friend, will bring fullness of joy both now and in eternity. I close with the words of the preacher from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 where the one who had experienced all the world had to offer, said this at the conclusion of it all. Verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Vanities of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. He says all that the world has to offer is absolutely worthless. Listen to verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Remember This was a man who experienced all that the world had to offer in measures that our minds can't even begin to understand. And at the end of his life, he says this. Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. I want to ask you this morning, are you really devoted to Jesus Christ? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Do you know Him today through a saving relationship? Has there ever really been a moment that you turned from sin and you trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? If there's never been that moment, won't you do it today? He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you and forgive you. But my friend, you hear me, He will not violate your free will. You must choose to turn and trust Christ to be Lord of all of you. If you would do that, just tell him so right now in the simple prayer of faith where you sit. Pray just like this. God, forgive me of my sin. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. And I turn from sin. I trust Jesus to be Lord over all my life today. That's that's my prayer. That's my confession. If you meant that just a moment, I'm going to stand here at the front when they begin to sing. Won't you make your way to the front so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life? I wonder if there's a believer here today that the Spirit of God has convicted you. You didn't even realize that it was happening. It just began to happen suddenly. But you realize that you've created some ties or you've allowed the world to create some ties to you. You really do love some things of the world, and you're not totally devoted to God. Would you not forsake those and renounce those today? Ask for God's forgiveness and leave for this place. Leave this place today in a totally committed, totally surrendered relationship that's totally devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And just tell Him so in a simple prayer of recommitment today. Father, you challenge your church today. You know the needs that are represented in this place. God, I pray that each person can leave here this morning truly saying that we've been born again. And Lord, being in a real devoted relationship to you, nothing in between, not an open marriage, no love for anything that is sinful, only a heart that is completely devoted to you and your lordship speak to us now be lord of this invitation it's in christ's name we pray and amen let's reverently stand our feet heads are bowed